Peace. Amen. Well, let's turn to Psalm 91. And uh, we started this last week, and uh, we're going to continue on. I know that I went through it verse by verse, and you thought maybe that was over, but there's a lot more that we need to, need to mine out of it. Amen? So Psalm 91. Hallelujah. Amen. So we've got to learn to dwell and abide and operate from the secret place. The secret place is not a place that is visible to the naked eye, and it's not tangible to the senses. It's something that must be cultivated spiritually. And how are things cultivated spiritually? They're cultivated spiritually through the Word of God. Amen. The Word of God is what builds the walls and the habitation of God in your life. So the Word of God has to be primary. It has to be you know, you should never put it second to anything because what it does, it, it helps create the true world and kingdom of God within you to where you begin to operate from a different place because you're not operating from being intimidated by the outside. You have a kingdom on the inside that facilitates every need that you could possibly have and that you need to learn to tap into it. Understand that the secret place is a place of secrets. That means that we only get secrets when we go to the secret place. Now here's the thing that we need to understand is that the secrets are about God. That's what the secrets are. You want the secret life hacks that God has for us? They're found in Him. They're found in his presence and in his person. It's not something that you can necessarily, you know, take a principle. A lot of people will take principles of the scripture and they'll apply them to their life, but they don't have any relationship. And because they don't have relationship, they, they, they cast away their confidence. They give up when the going gets tough. When the enemy opposes their stance and tries to push them off, of the word that they believe God gave them, then uh, they, they wobble, you know, they, they, they get a little, their, their footing gets a little bit shaky. But we need to understand that we are called to operate from a place of the presence of God. And the presence of God can only be known and be tangible in your life if it's within the word of God. So when we talk about the first verse here, he who dwells, or she who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. We told you that that word dwell means to set. And we shared with you that no one likes to be told to set. No one does. But that's the only way that we're going to get the secrets of the secret place, is if we set in the secret place. Amen? And then he goes on and says, will abide. So now we're getting in from sitting to now getting into a mental position that I need to stay here because there's so many distractions in your life that want to pull you from that place. How many realize that? I was talking to the Bible school students and, and uh, Monday night and, and I asked them, what's the greatest challenge that you're having in your life? What's the greatest challenge that you're having in your life? And some people will say obedience, and some would say submission, and some would say, you know, uh, hearing the voice of God. They would say certain things like uh, knowing the will of God and walking in it perfectly, and they had a list. But the main two things that you wrestle with in your Christian life, and this is Christians all over the world, is reading your Bible and praying. Those are the two things that you wrestle with in your life. And guess what? Those two things cause obedience, cause submission, cause clarity, cause direction to come. You take care of the, of the root Praise God, the fruit is going to change for your life. But many times we focus on what we're doing. We focus on the fruit. 
Maybe it's we're taking a medication we don't want to take anymore and we focus on that fruit. We need to continue to take the medicine in Jesus' name and focus on the root. And as we focus on the root, which is Jesus and the secret place of the Most High, then praise God, there's transformation and change that can come in our physical life. It's the same with finances, guys. You can nitpick your pocketbook and, and, and everything and your budget and everything. But if you, if you keep looking at fruit and not get in the secret place and get to the root, you're not going to see any change in your life. Amen? So it's important that we abide and we make a decision to abide. You've got to make a decision to abide. I'm not going to be pulled off of this place. There's no relationships that's going to pull me off of this place. There's no situation or circumstance that's going to pull me off of this place. I'm going to stay right here. Amen? Have you ever, you know, had, had your friends come around, you know, and, and you knew you didn't need to leave the house? You knew you did not need to leave the house, so you sit down and you're trying to be a good boy, a good girl, and they're knocking on the door, come out and play. Come on out here. You know, let's ride our bikes. Let's do this. Come on. And you know, boy, if you leave this place, you're getting out under the covering, and there's going to be consequences to that. This is what the exact picture here is you've got to stay because the enemy's going to come in, and he's going to say, Joe, come on out here. There's a business deal I need you to get in. Or, oh, look at her, man. She is really hot. Or look at him. He's, come on now. And let's get, we start getting pulled away through distraction. And we get out from the covering of the secret place. And God's got some long wings, and he spreads them out, praise God. But we can get, we can get out from under them. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. We've got to make a decision. Everybody say this. I make a decision, make a decision. To, abide to abide in the secret place. The secret place. Amen. amen. I'm telling you what. Yeah, you're, you're all amen and now, but guess what's going to happen? <laughs> Hallelujah, brother. Praise the Lord. I'm going to stand. I'm going to just stand and do everything and stand there for. And then... Where you at? Where you at? Hello? Hello? Ain't nothing going to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Hello? And then, where are you at? Strapped to a sea dew on Sunday morning. Hello? Hello? Down at the club. I, you know why I can say that? Because I did stuff. I mean, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but years and years ago, long time ago, I went to church because my mother-in-law put the fear of her on me. I would answer altar calls to get steak dinners. <laughs> Hello. Karen and I decided we were going to. We were about 19. You know, we got married at 18. I was 19. She decided, well, if we're going to go to church, we're going to do something, you know. Or I wasn't even saved, but we're going to do something for the Lord. And so we was out, you know, Saturday night, just tying it on, doing all kinds of stuff we shouldn't be doing. And then Sunday morning, we splashed on some cologne and, you know, and went in there and taught kids about Jesus, you know, still having some of those burps from the night before, if you know what I mean. I've, come on. It's bad. It's sad. Amen? And there were many times where I would feel moved on by God or want to repent of my horrible behavior and I would answer altar calls and I would answer all kinds of things and say, I'm, I'm going to change, I'm going to change. It ain't about you changing. That's where I failed as I, I thought it was about me making a change. Well, I got to change my behavior. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. 
Bible teaches you need to repent and you need to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he changes you. Amen. And so I would work and work and work and work and try to change myself. And then come Saturday night, come calling Saturday night. You know, I do good on Thursday night. I'd even, I've had, you know, I'd have a rough time on Friday night, have the shakes, but I made it through. And then Saturday night, Saturday night fever hit me. Saturday night fever. Hello. There's people get that Saturday night fever and then, you know, they want to try to, I knew a guy, I actually almost got fired from a job because he was a part, and I won't say what denomination he was, but um, he was a part of a denomination where he would show up for church and they would have an entire segment in which they would confess their sins. And so he would just, he would go every Sunday morning and he had it down. He said, man, I've got it down. I've got it down. Now this guy was a whoremonger. I mean, there was no, there was no other word for it, man. He was a womanizer and he was out there catting around and living like a chinchilla, you know? I mean, he was, hello, but he had it down. He had it down. He said, I got my list because he knew he was going to do it every week. He was going to do these sins. He was going to do them, but see, he got a pass. See, every time, because he went on Sunday and he confessed his sins and did his kneel and got up and did his Hail Marys and stuff like that. And he was good for the week. No, he wasn't. Hello. And when I told him that, you know, you need to stop all that stuff and just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then I get called in the office. Hello. I'm telling you, you need to make a decision to abide and stay in the secret place. Amen? And stop wandering, stop getting that wandering eye and start thinking, stop thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. You're in the best place you can possibly be in. I don't care what your circumstances are or what's going on in your body or what's going on in your relationships. If you are in the presence of Almighty God, you are in the best presence that you could possibly be. You're in the best place in the world. And it doesn't matter what your checkbook looks like. And it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what relationships are going down. What matters is I'm in the right place at the right spot with the right person. That's where I'm at. It may not look like it to you. You may not see it. You might not see any fruit of it. But I know where I'm at. And if I know where I'm at and I'm secure in that, praise God, come hell or high water. Oh, I'm preaching a lot better than you I'm going to make it. Amen. I'm going to make it. Amen. So the secret place is a place of secrets. But there's secrets about God. That's where we miss it. We think God give me a principle to make some money. Give me a witty idea to get out of this mess. And the secret is, is that you are to be cultivating and taking in secrets about him. The more I learn about him, the more eternal life I experience. Oh, you didn't get that. Well, let's, let's, let's look at it. Let's set up with some scripture. Are we doing all right? Okay, John, the 17th chapter, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. When I saw this, it changed my life. Many of you know this scripture. Amen. John 17 and verse number three. And this is eternal life. Okay, notice that. This is eternal life. He's not saying how to get eternal life. He's not telling you in the sweet by and by. He's saying this right now is eternal life. So that tells me this. Eternal life is not about the future. Eternal life is about right now. When you got born again, you have access to eternal life. Eternal life comes into your spirit by the Holy Spirit, and you are a partaker of divine life. I said you're a partaker of divine life. Divine life flows through your blood. Amen? And he's telling you what eternal life is. Eternal life is not about do's and don'ts. Eternal life is not about religious, you know, observances. Eternal life is not trying to be a good old boy or a good old girl. 
He said, this is life eternal. How many would like to know what life eternal is? That they know you. And this word for know is the most intimate word in the Greek that you could use for know. It's gnosko in the Greek. And it's akin to a husband and wife relationship who know things that no one else knows. Because that's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. Is to where it is bare, it is naked, so to speak. There's absolutely no pretense to it. There's no wall to it. There's no barriers to it. It's wide open. And that's the way you got to live your married life. Come on now. Some people ain't learned that. They're holding back. Holding back that sock drawer. Don't you get in that sock drawer. That's my business. Come on. I'm serious. If you haven't heard that, you haven't been married very long. All right. What is eternal life? Knowing God. Knowing God. And not just knowing God. Notice what it says. It says the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the degree of eternal life that's going to operate in my life is going to be in direct proportion to my knowledge of God, the only true God in Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. I'll take a number three supersize. <laughs> I tell you what, with this time change, everybody's a little more livelier. <laughs> Amen. So the direct proportion to the eternal life manifesting in my life, that's healing in my body, deliverance in my mind, prosperity and blessing abounding in my life because of my relationship with the Lord is going to be based upon my knowledge. Okay. So that's why he says, he that dwelleth, he that sits. If you sit around somewhere long enough, you're going to learn something. Amen? You sit around long enough, you're going to learn something. If you really choose to abide to where your will is being tested day in and day out for you to stay in there, you're going to really learn some things. You're going to really start learning because you're going to learn stuff about yourself. Amen? Because abide has to do with will. It has to do with the will. Because you've got a will to abide. You've got to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that. I know that there's a good Netflix series to binge watch, but I'm going to get in this instead. Amen. I know that there is, you know, uh, better weather, and it's not, but you know what? I'm not going to bypass this. I'm going to make this a priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. See, most people, they don't seek the kingdom of God. They wonder why things aren't added to them. Amen? Are you okay? So it's about operating in revelation knowledge. Let's look at another scripture here, and that comes through intimacy. Intimacy. Revelation comes through intimacy. I shared with you that commission always brings authority. When God commissions you, there's always authority. But you've got to have power also with authority. And power comes through intimacy. You can't have power without intimacy. There's just no way. There's a lot of people that want to exercise authority, but they don't have the power backing that authority. Because they have no intimacy. They don't have any intimacy with God. They're just saying words. Just like the seven sons of Sceva. How many remember that? The seven sons of Sceva. We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Come out. Well, they were trying to exercise authority. And they even invoked the name of Jesus. But what happened? The demons looked at him and said, Paul, I know. And Jesus, I'm well acquainted with. But who are you? Amen. No intimacy. It's about knowing somebody. See, it's not about rules and clean yourself up. 
trying to make yourself presentable and better before God. Majority of people's Christian life, that's what it is. Listen, if you're, if you're consistently trying to clean yourself up to appease somebody, you're not intimate with them. Hello, you're not intimate with them. And yet we, we all understand this within the context of marriage, don't we? Because during the dating relationship, there's a lot of pretense. There's a lot of, there's a lot of makeup. There's a lot of, you know, cleaning up the car and not doing the things that you normally do. You know, putting on the best foot forward, you know. Then you get married. Hello. And you get married and all that stuff, you know, a lot of that stuff goes down the stream. You know, it, it, it's not there. And it's not, it's not supposed to be. There. You shouldn't have pretense in your marriage anymore. Come on, in your relationship. Because your marriage goes into another level. It goes into a secret play. It goes into a place of intimacy where you can be yourself. Where you know that you're loved regardless of what you look like. Or regardless of what you act like sometimes. Amen? Come on now. And that's really the relationship that God calls us into. He says, you know what? I know you're putting on your religious clothes. I know you're trying to clean yourself up. I know you're trying to look good and pretty before me. But you know what? I just want you to, to, to be just real. Open yourself up. And, you know, scars and all. Yes. That's what I want. Yes. Yes. And that's the secret place of the Most High. That's where you got to live. Where you can be bare and, and open and... And that's where the place of power is. See, a husband and a wife feel secure when that secret place in their life is right. Because when it's right and they're flowing together, there's not a temptation out there. Oh, come on now. There's not a temptation out there. But when that is, is deficient, then all of a sudden they've got eyes looking at other opportunities, being tempted by things. Why? Because the innermost part of their life has been, you know, uh, somehow uh, corrupted. Well, it's the same with God. We can be corrupted in our relationship with him and not know him intimately in an area that we are supposed to know him in. And it causes us to not have the proper foundation to where when we're walking through this life, we begin to get our eyes on other things and other words. And, and we lose sight. But let's go back to, well, uh, I told you, Second Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. His divine power has granted to us all things. How many things? All. You know, I looked up that word all in the Greek. I looked it up in the Hebrew. And I looked it up in the Aramaic. And I looked it up in the English. And you know what that word means? It means all, not half, not a quarter, not three quarters, A-double-L, all. He's given us all things that pertain to what? Life and godly living. Do you think your bills are about life? Car payments about life? Yeah, absolutely. He's given you all things that pertain to life. So he cares about your physical condition. Amen? How about healing? You think that has anything to do with life? Protection from viruses? Protection from disease? This is what he's having. But notice how it comes. Because some of you are saying, yep, that's right. I, I received that right now. Well, no, there, there's... There's a condition to this. Okay, it's not, it just doesn't, you know. It's a, you know, light on you, you know. Okay, it, notice what it says. Through, now notice that, the knowledge of him. Well, I don't know why God's not working in my life. I just can't see him do anything. Hello. First thing you ask him, have you been reading your Bible? Come on. 
Have you been walking with the Lord in prayer? Have you been talking to him? I haven't talked to him in 10 years, and I don't think I ever will. I'm so mad. Come on, I've heard people say that. Then what are you wondering why you're not? That's stupidity on ice. It's through knowledge. And it's not through having known. It's a progressive, continuous knowledge. Faith comes by what? Hearing and 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 hearing. I mean, you got to hear. You know, faith doesn't come by having heard. Some of you eating that old manna, you ain't getting anywhere. You just got that look Hello. Hello. That bread in the temple, it was baked fresh. It had to be fresh. Well, what, what, what are you doing? Have you got a, a bun in the oven, so to speak? I mean, are you cooking on something? Do you have something on the back burner? I mean, is, is God cooking something in your life? Or are you just, are the pots cold, you know? Stove's got, you know, spider webs on it, you know? And then people wondering why they're not seeing the provision of God in their life. Amen. Well, you're not giving him any ingredients to work with. Hello. Well, I've read that book. Those people say that. I've read that. It's not about, <laughs> golly. You're not understanding the whole pro This is a relationship. This is what it is. It's a relationship. It isn't like, well, I dated my wife. Yeah, back when we was 18, I took her out, you know, to Red Lobster. And you don't date her no more? You don't? I wrote her a love note when I was a kid. No, you got to continue. We get divorced for things. And we do it to the Lord every day. We get divorced for things that we do to the Lord every day. We have no intimacy with him. We have we don't sit under his presence. We don't abide. We wander, our desires take us off to all kinds of different things. We make decisions without him. And we wonder why we're not abiding. Wonder why we're not under the secret place of the Most High. I'm trying to get in that there are conditions to it. It isn't just something that's just going to happen just because you want it to happen. There is a part that you play in it. Yes, it is by grace. Yes, he is the one that's doing everything. Listen, you have a very small role, and the only role you have is to sit. But fallen humanity and even unrenewed mind believers have a problem with sitting and abiding because it's, it's suffering to them. Did you know that? It is absolute suffering to sit and wait. Did you know that? Have you ever tried to make your kids sit and wait? It was like you take forks and put it underneath their fingernails and jabbing them with hot coals and prongs. They will whine and complain because we, we equate boredom with pain. And so sitting is not something we're used to. We're used to doing. Give me something to do. But the problem with that is, is that I can do things without proper relationship. Have you ever had anybody do something for you and you know their heart wasn't in it? Did you enjoy that? Even though you might have received a gift, received money, received some kind of nice, you know, uh, gift or a nice compliment, but you just know that was mechanical they're phoning it in. It's just relationship by numbers. Because I can do certain things.
to show you that I like you and it be manipulative. You see, that's not the way God works. I'm not going to manipulate God with his word. I can't do that. I can't go through the motions and say, okay, God, now I did this and this and this, so now you got to do that. That's a very dangerous position to be in. You're basically saying, you know what, we really don't have a relationship, but I'm just doing what you've told me to do, and if you don't come up with what you're in, because I did it, but yet you didn't do it with the right heart. You didn't do it as a love affair. That's one of the hardest things I had to learn was I had to have a love affair with Jesus. That's very difficult for a man to have. I mean, it was, it was difficult because I always, you know, just uh, I wasn't a worshiper because I was masculine. You know, I always thought that was not what a man should do. You know, and bowing. Some of you have problem with that. I mean, bowing the knee to somebody or to something. That was rough for me. And then singing songs to the Lord and, you know, singing, I love you and things of that nature. That was very hard for me. Now, to some of you, it's very simple, very easy. It wasn't for me. It wasn't at all. My, my whole life male relationships were very difficult for me. They were very difficult. And that translated into my relationship with the Lord. I couldn't really, I mean, I loved him, but I wanted to show my love through doing. But you know, Jesus told the Samaritan woman, he said this, he said, God is seeking doers. Is that what he said? Is, is God seeking doers? No, he's seeking worshipers. It's a whole other concept. That's a whole other paradigm shift. Because I was a doer. I'll do anything for you, God. And there's people in your life that would, I'll do anything for you. You just call, brother. You need my coat, I'll take it off. I'll just do it. But they don't know how to connect with you. They don't know how to be with you. They don't know how to be silent. They don't know how to, what to say. They don't. And that's what we've got to get with the Lord. We've got to be able to, to, to communicate without talking. Get to the spot where you can be with the Lord so intimately. You see, my wife and I can have conversations where we don't even talk. So it was rough for me. I mean, you know, my dad divorced my mom at eight, eight years old. I had a wonderful dad come in, you know. I don't call him stepdad because it just makes me feel weird because he raised me. He's my dad. But he is so unlike me, absolutely unlike me. This man can build anything, do anything, hunt anything. He's courageous. He was athletic. He could build anything. He had a he had a, a engineering mind. Just a, you know could do. He's my hero. But I didn't connect with him. And what happened is, is when you get on your knees and you start saying "Our Father," which well, that's got some problems. Oh, I'm, I'm preaching way better. I've got some problems because of the fathers in my life. And then I also had spiritual fathers that were in my life where relationships were, you know, they were, um, there was opposition to those relationships. And many times it was my, me that was creating the opposition. Because of my lack of intimacy with the Father. See, I didn't have an intimate walk with the Father. I had a works relationship with the God. I had a work relationship with God. The only time I went to God in prayer was to get, you know, some kind of uh, evaluation. How am I doing? You know. 
I did not have a love affair with him. I saw him as a boss. This is wrecking people's lives. The enemy seeks to take a very personal savior and make him impersonal. He did it to Adam and Eve. Now we're going to study as we keep going down through here. I've got 20 more minutes, but uh, I don't know how far we'll get. But we need to understand that the names of God are important for us to understand so that we can grow and increase in our knowledge of him. Because when you live in a physical world, what you see is physical acts. You focus on fruit. But the spiritual world doesn't operate that way. The spiritual world operates with words. Do, do, are you getting this? So that means that God revealing himself by certain names gives you the understanding that you need to be able to know that he is also at work in your physical world. Do you understand that? So if I am, I'm, if I'm fully committed or fully convinced of certain attributes of God, because some have a, a more of a leaning towards provision than healing. And some people have more understanding of God's healing than they do provision. There are people that wrestle with certain aspects of God. And the enemy wants to continually assassinate those names of God. He wants to make them not mean to you what they mean, what they truly mean. The reason why God had to use so many names is because man was so removed from his character and so removed from his kind that man could not digest or take in everything that he was and is. Couldn't do it. So God would give, he would, he would kind of disseminate revelations of himself and he would attach them to a name. Oh. The great thing about it is though those names that are in the Old Testament are all put in one name, which is Yeshua, Jesus. But because mankind was fallen and was not born again, because Jesus had not come and died and was raised from the dead, God had to reveal himself like, you know, in, in little bits and pieces because man could not take it in. And even today, we do not know the depths of Yeshua. We don't know the depths of Jesus. We're all growing in that. But every collective covenant name of God is found, it it finds its source in Jesus Christ. And if if we can understand the names of God in the Old Testament, then it will broaden our scope. Because he says, this is eternal life. That they might know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So it's important for us to get a hold of that. That God is bigger than we can ever imagine. And that it takes our mind being renewed to be able to fathom the depths and the breadth and the width and the length of God, our Father. Because that's what Jesus came to reveal. See, the covenant names are important and you need to know them. But guess what? Man was so far removed that his ways were not our ways. As high 
as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above ours. We were so east of Eden, we didn't even understand what it meant to be in relationship with God. We were one with the actual enemy of God, Satan himself. We were sons and daughters of Satan. And we think we're going to take everything on immediately that God wants to bring into our lives. Listen, we've got to renew our mind to step into those things because we've been used to thinking certain ways. And we think that that is reality when it's not reality. And Jesus comes into our lives and he says, I am the way and I am the truth. What was he saying? I am the reality. You look at me, you're going to see how man was supposed to live. See, it's through the knowledge of him that I receive all the things that he died for. And that tells me that I'm only going to learn it if I sit. That's going over real good. I had to sit. Amen. Now, what the devil did is he approached Eve because when we read it in the English, we don't see the delineation. Because in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And that, that, that is not a name. That's a classification of being. It's basically saying that he is a spirit being. Spirit created matter. That's really what Genesis 1-1 is about. Spirit creating matter. All right? So in the second chapter of Genesis, we're introduced to another name of God. And that name is Lord God. It's where we get the word Yahweh, Yahweh. Okay? And this is the personal name of God. Yeshua is Yahweh. Yahweh is Yeshua. Okay? So Yahweh is the self-existent one, the personal God who makes covenant. Okay? It also denotes that he would have a nail-scarred body, a nail-scarred hand, even before the foundation of the world, even before that. It, it, it denotes that when you take those four Hebrew characters and put them together. It's very complex. But in the second chapter, we see Yahweh, our Jehovah, which is, you know, transliterated, you know, into Latin, okay, where we get Jehovah, Jehovah. There was no J's in the uh, Hebrew alphabet. So it was Yah, Yahweh, Yahshua, Okay, but we see this God, Yahweh, get in the dirt, get in the dirt. He didn't speak Adam. He could have spoke Adam out of the ground, just come on out of the ground. But we see that he began to form man out of the dust of the ground. That is very personal. There's nothing more personal than someone getting in your dirt. Isn't that right? I mean, when they get into your dirt and they roll up their sleeves, this is God Almighty. This isn't an angel. This isn't some other, you know, immortal that is working on God's behest. This is God himself getting in the mud, creating the clay, forming the man. Always understand this. God forms something and then he feels something. He forms something and then he feels something. He's forming something in your life and he's going to fill it in the name of Jesus. He's forming the vision in your life. He's going to fill it in your life. But the enemy works that way too. He likes to form stuff and fill it because he's an imitator. Yahweh. Okay? I want you to get a hold of this because this is going to help your prayer life. 
that's going to help you when you're tempted. He's introduced to Yahweh. Yahweh not only creates Adam, breathes the breath of life in Adam, but also takes the rib out of Adam and creates woman or makes woman out of that rib. And she has the same life that was in Adam. Okay? And he introduces her to Adam as a, as a gift, as, as a blessing. So they're personally involved. Adam and Eve are in a personal living relationship with Yahweh, walking in the cool of the day. But yet when the serpent comes, he uses the word Elohim. When he says, hath God said, he's not saying, did Yahweh say that? No, he didn't say that. He said, did Elohim impersonal. See, that's what he wants to do. He wants you to get God, get you to see God as a landlord as a disappointed father, an authoritarian figure that won't get off your back. Hello? He wants you to get, you know, a, a, a bales bondsman that's got a warrant out for you. You know, I mean, he, he wants you to see him every which way but the way he is. Amen? Amen. So let's, let's look at this, Yahweh. Let's go to Psalm 91, back to Psalm 91. I shared with you last week that the three names of God that start off this psalm were revelations and that they need to really be um, meditated on and prayed about. Because he starts off with El Elyon, where he talks about the Most High. And then he talks about uh, El Shaddai, when he talks about abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. So one is about power and one is about provision, because El Shaddai is about provision. But then he goes in and he says, I will say to the Lord, or I will say of the Lord. And that is the word Yahweh. Now I want you to notice this is that when it comes to Elion and it comes to El Shaddai it changes when he talks about Yahweh because he says this, I will say of Yahweh. See now he is giving voice activation to a relational description. I hope you're getting this. A relational description of who Yahweh is to him. See, if I would go across this room this evening and I would say, what does Jesus mean to you? You know, we would all say different things. We'd all be right. All of us would be right. He's my savior. He's my lover. He's my friend. He's my deliverer. He's my, you know, my, you know, he's my strength. He's my wisdom. You know, we, 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 could, we could just go on and on and on, and we could probably finish the rest of the night and go well into the next morning talking about how big Jesus is to us. But when we take closer examination, we can begin to see that, you see, for Patrick, this area might be strong, but in Russell, it may not be strong in, the, in Russell. But he's strong in an area that Patrick's not. Right. He knows Jesus this way. Leela knows Jesus here. She was healed of something. So she, she understands Jesus as Jehovah Rapha, where someone might know Jehovah, you know, um, T. 
baptists can do the lord my righteousness they understand righteousness they had to stand they had to stand and having done all to stand against the onslaught of the devil and they stood in the righteousness and they were able to overcome condemnation guilt and shame and they know it but guess joel doesn't know it joel knows jehovah rophi the lord my shepherd do you see what i'm saying so this is very important for the psalmist to say this because he is basically declaring who God is to, who is Yahweh to you? Didn't, didn't Jesus do this in the 16th chapter of Matthew when he's walking with his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist back from the dead. Some say you're one of the prophets. But he looks at him and he says, and this is what he's saying to you and asking of you, who do you say that I am? Because it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what theologians say. It doesn't matter what the church says. What matters is what does the word say and what do you say about the word? You're going to have to define that. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my fortress. And what was he looking for? He was looking for deliverance. He didn't say the Lord is my wisdom. The Lord is my joy. He's not talking about that. Sometimes we misapply and, and put things over into situations they don't need to be in. He says, no, the Lord is my refuge. I will say of Yahweh, refuge, fortress. Oh, God, oh, my goodness gracious. Do you sense the power in that? Do you sense the power in that? See, he not only acknowledged that we're to abide and sit still in the presence of the Lord, but in our abiding, we are to declare, we are to declare from that place who God is. Amen. So what's your declaration? <coughs> this is life eternal. That they might know Yahweh. I'm going to just say that. That they might know Yahweh. The only true God is Yahweh. And Yeshua. That's life eternal. So I'm not supposed to sit here passively. If God has put me with him, then I must declare because I live in a physical world that is anti-God. How, Jeff, you're going to like this. I can tell right now. How can I get the reality of the secret place into my physical world. I do it through my mouth. It is the highway that connects the unseen to the seen. but I can't do it out here. Most people try to confess and proclaim outside of the secret place. No, 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 no. That's why you have to abide in it. That's why you have to stay in it. This is the place of power. And the way that I'm going to be able to get that power into my natural life is by saying declaring, speaking forth what the Word of God says. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals me, 
or the Lord that fills me or, or fixes me is really what it says, fixes me, because that's what he does. He fixes you. Okay? Set out here. Oh, come uh, It's nice. Sounds wonderful. But see, I'm out here in the circumstance. I'm out here at the doctor's report. I'm out here with my friends and family say, oh, yeah, my dad had that and he died. Now, it's good to have that, but my goodness, you, wouldn't you rather just, just stay where God is? And Now, how do I do that? I'm a student of the word. How do I do that? I pray in the spirit. How do I do that? I cultivate the presence of God in my daily life. Doesn't mean I, I, I have to, you know, quit my job and pray and read the Bible all day. It just means that I walk around in the presence of the Lord. I cultivate the awareness of his presence in my daily life. I've got a praise on my tongue. I've got a thanksgiving coming out of my mouth. Amen. And I'm asking and I'm searching and I'm seeking all the day long, even while I'm doing my job. I'm abiding in the secret place. But, oh, there's distractions. God will protect us in this secret place. But when we get out from under it and we start pursuing things of him, we begin to find trouble. Amen? Amen. Are you getting anything out of this? Yes. Okay. So, when we start talking about Yahweh, Yahweh showed himself through seven redemptive names. Now, all of these names collectively come into Jesus. So, when we study and dissect this, you can see what goes into the name of Jesus so that you can have confidence in the day of adversity to say, you know what? No, in Jesus' name, this will not prosper. In Jesus' name, I will not tolerate this. In Jesus' name, I bind you in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, I loose. Come on now. But most people don't do a study of the name. And so when they do the name, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, going through the motions. Just a catchphrase. Jesus is not a catchphrase. Jesus is the most powerful name. And in fact, it says right here, well, what does it say? Who dwells in the shelter of El Elyon? Yeshua is El Elyon. That means there's nobody bigger than your Jesus. Amen. He is also El Shaddai. He is the fulfillment of all the covenant names of God. Okay? All right? So when we see this Yahweh, or we see Jehovah, as, as some of us have known, um, we begin to see that there are covenant names that are given. And there's basically seven of them. And the first one that I want to look at, if you got 10 more minutes, is Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yireh. This is very important for you to understand. Jehovah Jireh is found in Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 14. And we know the story where Abraham took his son Isaac and many think that he was just a small child or a teenager. He was in his 20s. And God said, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him unto me, unto the mountain that I will show you. And so Abraham had walked with the Lord in a relationship with him. So he didn't vacillate. Did he vacillate in the early years? Yeah. God said, get up out of your country, away from your kindred, into a land that I will show you. 
And Abraham sat on his duff. Abraham didn't leave his kindred. He took his father and he took his nephew Lot. And it ended up being a problem for him and hindering him. He went down to Egypt and basically, you know, gave permission for his wife to be put into a harem. Did he have trouble starting? Yes. We all have trouble in our walk with God when we first start out. But as we begin to progressively get to know Yahweh, Abraham began to cultivate an awareness of who Yahweh was. And I'm sure there's many times that Yahweh began to declare certain things about Yahweh over and over and over again. So much so that by the time God speaks to him about this, he doesn't waver. He gets his son, puts the firewood on his back, gets the knife, gets the proper things, and they go to Mount Moriah. When he lifts that knife on the promise of God, the angel of the Lord stopped him. And he says, now that I've seen that you would give your only son, of course we know theologically that gave God the permission and entrance to be able to give his son on our behalf. But you remember Isaac asked Abraham this question. He said, we've got the flint and we've got the wood. Where is the sacrifice? I say of Yahweh, Yaira. Oh, my goodness. And what does Yaira mean? It means the God who sees ahead and makes provision. When he said the Lord himself will provide a sacrifice, he said basically the Lord has already seen and prepared. He will say of the Lord, he sees ahead. Did you see what I'm saying? He's speaking from a place. There are times, my friends, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, but this is for somebody in this house. There are times when you're going to be out here and you're going to be confessing the Scripture and you're going to be doing certain things and saying certain things and proclaiming to get to this place. Okay? Now, listen to me real closely. You're already there. You're just not already there. Do you understand that? You're already there. You're just not already there. And many times our confession gets us into the awareness of our reality. You're already there. You're just not already there. You're already there. You're just not already there. You're already positionally at this place, but mentally you're not at that place. You haven't cultivated the trust. You haven't cultivated the confidence. You haven't cultivated enough of the word in your life to understand your surroundings because the word builds the secret place. And the secret place is built by revelations of the names of God because the names of God show his character. 
And I'm in secure in this, and I don't really waver when I know that there's a pillar here that has a name of something that I can cling to. When time gets tough, when situation gets bad, I can get a hold of Jehovah Rapha. I can get a hold of Jehovah Rophi. I can get a hold of... And it keeps me here. Hallelujah. That's worth a drink here. Your reality of functioning in the secret place is in direct proportion to how much you're in the Word of God. We've got to stop seeing this as devotional reading. Well, I got my devotions in today. Well, no. What does that mean? No, did you interact with Jesus today? Because you can have devotions and have no interaction. I can buy flowers for my wife and have no interaction. It's happened. <laughs> you men just look forward, just don't look to the side. It happens. You can go through the motions. Doesn't mean, you see what I'm saying? So it's important for us to cultivate through the word awareness of God's nature that is in this book because that's the whole purpose of the book. Why are these stories? I got to read these stories. They reveal the character and nature of God. And even though they may not correlate with your life at this time, there's going to be a time in which you're going to say, oh, yeah, I remember when Gideon, hello. And if God did it for Gideon, he'll do it for you. If God did it for the woman who had shield blood, he'll do it for you. If God did it for Jairus, he'll do it for you. If God raised Lazarus, he'll raise you. But you've got to cultivate and understand you've got to let the Word of God be the blueprint that you operate in the foundation in the place that He's put you. Jesus said, I have prepared a place for you. What's that place? The place of His presence. Amen? Now, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, you need to be filled with the Spirit, whatever, we're going to have counselors up here to pray with you. Make sure that you leave with everything you need. Amen. We're looking forward to next, uh, this Sunday, we're going to be talking about good, the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. So I want you to be here. I want you to bring people that need to hear about the goodness of God because we're going to have a good time. And then also we're going to have uh, Mr. Bob's class, Reset. Reset. Were you supposed to come up here and do a dance for us? Reset. <laughs> Reset, right? Reset, 6 o'clock. You need to be here. Bob's got good things to say. The Lord spoke to Bob. Bob's got a good word for you. Amen? Sunday night school, 6 p.m. Is anybody closing this out or am I? Am I closing it out? All right, okay. All right. I do what I want. No, <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to have a real good time this Sunday, and it's going to be great. Remember men's breakfast. Remember all those wonderful things coming up. God is a good God. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Amen.